While the enemies of the Emperor still draw breath, there can be no peace. If your life is given in service to the Emperor, your death shall not be in vain. Common Imperial Saying Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost Transmissions, a Battlefleet Gothic podcast set in the Age of Darkness. I am your host, Stephen, as usual, and as always, I am here with our resident Lord Admiral, Austin. Hi! We're back! Again. It's good to be back. Yes. Uh, truly, in this our year of 2021, otherwise known as 2020 again, uh, life can get away from us, and sometimes it's hard to to pump out you know consistent recordings. But we're here for you, as always. We our are. our savior pod was picked up by a kind passing vessel. Um, they sure do chant a lot, and they're very green. It's true. They took uh, the pod apart, and I think now it's part of the engines. But they do have great camouflage patterns, so, you know, yeah. can't fault them for style. So here we are, um, coming to you live from the depths of a weird orc space thing. Hmm. Speaking of orcs and other things, uh, today we are going to get into the long-promised Enemies of the Imperium section of Book 2. Although by now, you have all no doubt actually read through that section. Um, but we're going to talk about it anyway. It's true, because some of you might not have. I, I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you hadn't already read the book a bit. But I don't know why you listened to this in the first place. So what do I know? But That's we're happy true. you do, because we'll talk about Battlefleet heresy stuff until the end of time. Yep. Until such a time as the stars themselves grow cold. Indeed. Uh, so we're going to knock out real quick um, our thoughts around orcs and Eldar. I know we've talked about this a couple of times uh, in previous episodes. I think last season we had kind of a segue um, on orcs and other Xenos fleets that are in Battlefleet Gothic and bringing them into the Horus Heresy. We've, I don't know, legalized seems like a strong word for a fan-made supplement to a dead rule set. Uh, but we talk about it a little bit in the book. Uh, orcs, the basics of the thing is orc empires of all sorts of sizes and complexity were trampled under the glorious boot heel of the Imperium's Great Crusade uh, during the Great Crusade and even a little bit during the heresy. You know, you forget that there's still some Xenos thumping going on while everybody's trying to murder each other. Um, we changed exactly one thing uh, about the normal GW fleets. Um, we, for If you're just portraying kind of that one planet that's got some ships around it uh, or one system with some ships around it, we suggest just the bog standard orc fleet from the main BFG rulebook um, for maybe bigger pirate clans or small orc empires like the ones fought by the Alpha Legion and Blood Angels in the Cavus Belt. Uh, suggest the WOG fleet list in BFG Armada rulebook. And if you have a full-on, you know, Ulanor Wheel of Fire amount of orcs that you're wanting to roll as, uh, the whole orc fleet list in the 2010 compendium uh, is what we like. And the reason for that is as orc society gets bigger and more complex, they get more technologically advanced, just sort of a thing they do. Um... 
which is why we're kind of like, eh, you do this, do that, do whatever. But as always, this is a fan-made rule set for a dead game. Really do what you want. The only change we've made uh, is in the 2010 BFG compendium. On page 150, they've got various clan rules for your orcs. Uh, and if you're playing with blood axes, uh, change it to most orcs distrust the blood axes, who they consider to be treacherous gits and cowards who sneak around in poncy clothing to make themselves look like trees. Uh, most of all, the blood axes are disliked for their dealings with humies and other non-orcs, from whom the blood axes proudly acquire various practices and even bits of equipment. The warlord ship may take one refit from the enemies of the Imperium refit table rolled randomly for 20 points. Uh, blood axe Tidla squadron, that's their escorts, of at least six escorts, may include up to three enemies of the Imperium escorts, not including their carriers, uh, for their listed cost in Book 2. Uh, these ships may gain a Dark Age Xenos refit for five points per the imp enemies of the Imperium escorts. Uh, you roll once for each squadron, but can't be upgraded with specialist torpedoes, and we're going to talk about all of that when we get into enemies of the Imperium. Proper. It's going to be good times. It'll be good times. But that's the basics. Uh, also, as a side note, like I said, as the sophistication grows with the size, a gentleman wouldn't use teleporters or tractor beams unless you're up to like an Ulanor-sized orc infestation. Uh, but again, that's just a polite suggestion. You do what makes you happy. Which should just be play orcs, get into fights, get rich. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily yeah. in that order. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, if you're you trying were, those you old school rich. GW orc escorts, man... All metal, all the time. It adds up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a quick note on context here. The reason that we are going kind of out of order um, as it relates to the table of contents is that um, we thought about doing campaigns in the Great Crusade um, first before we, before we did all this, but there's so many references to rules that come physically after in the book that it made more sense to, to get all that stuff out of the way first and then talk about campaigns, which we're going to do later. Yes, we will get there. We promise. Um, next, Eldar. There's really nothing to say here um, because Eldar don't friggin' change. Uh, the only things we change, so in, in the Great Crusade, we know there was some Imperium Eldar contact. There's some Imperial Dark Eldar contact. But just because of the nature of the beast, it was certainly less common than orcs. Um, Craft World Eldar, probably the most common. Uh, we make that assumption based on the fact that the Sixth Legion uh, just annihilated a Craft World on their own. Uh, we know Ulthway fought against the Emperor's Children over some Maiden Worlds, uh, things like that. Um, Dark Eldar, we only have one reference um, where, again, the Sixth Legion annihilated a cabal of Dark Eldar uh, on a planet they were trying to liberate, uh, which they then pacified when the humans they saved from Dark Eldar suddenly realized that, no, 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 we're we calling the shots now. It was an unfortunate... Uh, Unfortunate incident for everyone. Not the least which being the guys who got beat by space wolves. Why you gotta be disrespectful like that? It, anyway. <clears throat> it is my way. Uh, you don't see me shitting on word bearers right I mean, this second. 
at, at this exact <laughs> moment? No. Anyway, there's there's two very minor changes um, if you're trying to roll with Eldar or Dark Eldar. Um, really, because they both tend to play as pirates in Battlefleet Gothic campaigns, uh, and we suggest using a haven, uh, which has stats in the 2010 Compendium's you know, ship list. That's kind of a big, fancy Eldar space station. Uh, instead of the kind of standard pirate base from the main rulebook and elsewhere. Uh, the reason behind that is havens were more populous, I guess. There were more of them in the heresy than there is in the current 40K timeline, even before the Great Rift. Um, and as they don't move, they're probably a thing that the Imperium came across more often than kind of the space pirates, Eldar, uh, that you see more in 40K. Um, the other things we have is the Craftworld Eldar fleet list in the BFG Armada book, uh, or the Iodin Craftworld fleet, both really cool. We both fully support, uh, those being the ones you use. Obviously, if you want to use the main rulebook one, fine. Um, but these are very much kind of expanded versions of that rather than like the orcs, which seem to fall into kind of. This one's for a big orc empire. This one's more for a little one. But again, do whatever you want. Um, however, in the end in Craftworld fleet, there is a fancy ship, uh, the Flame of Assyrian, which is a zero to one choice, and you have to take it uh, with uh, Uriel, who's a famous 40K space elf. Uh, however... So, well, not however, but our suggestion for this is we don't know how old Uriel is, um, but we assume, given how he's portrayed in 40K compared to, say, Eldrad, who is in 30K, uh, that Uriel either wasn't even born when the heresy took place, uh, and even if he was, was certainly not in a position to have a battleship under his control. Um, however, the Flame of Assyrian certainly existed during the Great Crusade, and we kind of envisit it as maybe being more of a standard flagship class rather than a one-off. Um, therefore, you can't take Uriel and his bonuses, but you can take the Flame of Assyrian as a zero-to-one selection for any craft world fleet, uh, not just his specific one. Did I miss anything? No, that, that's, that's about it. Um, yeah, like you said, there there's really wasn't a whole lot to talk about where Eldar are concerned. Um, or orcs, they're, they're more, we didn't know where to, where to put a segment about them. Uh, we didn't want to run out of time going through enemies of the Imperium and then miss them. So we just slapped them on there in front as a, let's get this out of the way. Yeah. And now we've got that out of the way and yep. we can get into the cool stuff. Yes. Enemies uh, of the Imperium. The real enemies of the Imperium. Yeah. Uh, these fleets can be used to represent anything from uh, one-off Xenos empires or Xenos worlds, you know, any number of alien species that were, uh, as Austin put it, just crushed, driven to extinction under the glorious boot heel of the Imperial War Machine, um, or non-compliant human civilizations that were likewise crushed under the glorious heel of the Imperial War Machine. Um, but perhaps slightly less crushed and more like squeezed 
generally there was no successful genocide. <laughs> they let some humans, a lot of the time, live through it all. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the 30K, the Imperium of the Great Crusade was, was much more lenient when it came to people not doing what they wanted to do. Uh, and so generally planetary extermination was reserved only for the worst offenders, um, like people who trucked with AI, people who interbred with Xenos, and people who littered. Mm-hmm. All bastards in yeah. reverse order. Mm-hmm. So all enemies of the Imperium fleets uh, have some universal rules to them, although they do start to change once you get into the minutia of it. But you'll see what we're talking about here pretty soon. Uh, the first one is Strange Standards. The various Xenos and non-compliant human civilizations with the strength to offer more than token resistance to the expeditionary fleets in the Void often had baseline ships or weapons considered strange by Imperial standards. Torpedoes imbued with abominable intelligence, ships the size of escorts with the firepower of cruisers, and other oddities could even uh, could give even the vessels of the Legionis Astartes pause. So, if any ship in your fleet is upgraded with specialist torpedoes, then all ships capable of utilizing torpedoes must be upgraded with the same type. Um, presumably, any civilization that can fire, you know, uh, continent-spanning ICBMs, once they find a specific kind of cool torpedo that they're going to use, they typically aren't going to uh, have many varieties on yeah. hand. We call them specialist torpedoes just because they use the specialist torpedo rules. You know, melt is all that. Mm -hmm. um, but really, they're going to be kind of the bog standard torpedo for whatever Xenos human faction uh, you can think of, which uh, is why they replace the standard torpedoes in the fleet and do not run out. Uh in the sense that you know, most specialist torpedoes, you have a one-shot and you're done. And this, you're fine as long as you can shoot torpedoes. Uh, and you can only select one variant for your fleet, right? You can't have a whole bunch of different specialist torpedoes. Uh, and then likewise, if you upgrade the attack craft complement from the base, then all ships with launch bays must be similarly upgraded. Yep. Um, any bottle world? or cruiser or escort squadron equipped torpedoes may be equipped with the following specialists uh, torpedoes. And these are all out of the main Battlefleet Gothic rulebook. Mm -hmm. You can find a more in-depth explanation about them in our ordinance episode, which I think might be the second or third episode. Um, but they are guided torpedoes for five points, short burn torpedoes for 10 points, uh, seeking torpedoes for 15 points or melta torpedoes for 20. Um, you'll notice those are considerably cheaper compared to Imperial specialist torpedoes. Um, and again, there's a reason for this. That reason mostly being is that enemies of the Imperium, uh, it's kind of the fight for civilization as they know it. They're going to be, narratively speaking, on the back foot compared to an Imperial fleet. So they've got a few tricks up their sleeves. Yeah, that's a fair point. And we, we should kind of hit that home. This is not a fleet. God forbid, if any of you do like a competitive Battlefleet Heresy tournament, this is not the fleet for that. It's going to lose. Badly. You know, you know why? Maybe not badly. We had some surprises in playtesting. Um, 
but it's probably going to lose because that's what non-compliant civilizations did when they fought the Imperium of Man, right? Um, and we have some stuff that goes the complete other way, and we'll get into that when we talk about uh, some horrors of old night. But this fleet is certainly for an experienced player who wants a bit of a challenge, uh, kind of like the rogue trader fleet, you know. It's a little undergunned, but it has some really cool stuff, and you can certainly surprise the hell out of people with it, and it's a ton of fun to play. Uh, we had quite a few arguments saying who would uh, play the enemies of the Imperium fleet in our various playtests, because they're just a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we'll regale you with some stories another time, but, uh, you know, sometimes light cruisers just reeve through an entire <laughs> battle fleet. I mean, narratively speaking, the rest of the Crusade fleet showed up and put them all to the sword later. But for that brief shining moment, they thought they had saved their world. Yeah, they they bought themselves another six months and then the Night Lords came. Yeah, yeah. In any instance, uh, just kind of picture it as Independence Day, right? Where the aliens show up and the initial encounter with them is disastrous. Just White Houses exploding, uh... Los Angeles is being nuked. It's a real bad time. But uh, then humanity rallies and destroys the mothership. And at the end of the movie, everybody's happy. Well, unfortunately, there will be more motherships. Humanity's going to go extinct. Yes. But ignore Independence Day too. Yes. Um, speaking of Independence Day and fighters, uh, all launch bays and enemies of the Great Crusade fleet contain fighters, which is to say, if you have a carrier in any capacity, it's got fighters in it. Um, you may upgrade all of your launch bays to carry fighter bombers instead of fighters, or add bombers for five points per bay's point of strength, which is pretty standard. Uh, you may upgrade all of your carriers to carry f to carry fighter bombers, fighters, and bombers for ten points per bay's point of strength. And if you are using the H-33 Advanced Attack Craft Rules, you may, for 5 points per launch base point of strength, upgrade your fighter bombers to roll D6 when determining number of attacks against any enemy capital ships instead of D3. And these costs should be included in the total cost of a ship when calculating victory points. For example, a fleet with a bottle world and a carrier equipped with fighter bombers means the bottle world costs 650 points and the carrier costs 60 points. Yeah, and this is... This is one of the themes that we did when designing the fleet um, is that based on the fluff, the Imperium, like we, we've seen that, that great picture of like these are Imperial ships next to other sci-fi ships and the Imperium ships are just massive, right? Um, like the Enterprise is like 300 meters or something dumb. It's like not as big as a Cobra Destroyer. Uh but funnily enough, that's actually how it is in the 40K universe as well. Um, because the Imperium has navigators and does the warp really exceptionally well for a spacefaring civilization, its ships are huge compared to everybody else's. Uh, so we say, hey, your Great Crusade fleet contains fighters. Those could really be kind of anything right um i kind of envisioned the fighter bombers of an enemies of the imperium fleet to just be the civilization's bombers but um 
Turns out most of the time an X-Wing can't take a Death Star, so it sort Oops. of has to half-ass it and yeah, hope you get lucky. Not without a wizard lucky. in the cockpot. Cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> the cockpot. <laughs> and that's kind of where the enemies of the Imperium find themselves fighting. <laughs> yeah. Just in the cockpot. In the cockpot. Um, mm. So, you know, this kind of represents that upgrade of like, hey, you've just got, you know, fighters because they have zero capacity to hurt an Imperial capital ship. Uh, fighter bombers, hey, you've got bombers. They It kind of works, I guess. Or if you're, you know, firing micro nukes and can get full bombers like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, you can really use the um, the the enemies of the Great Imperium or the enemies of the Imperium fleet to kind of represent any sci-fi trope that you could think of. You know, fighters, X-wings, fighter bombers, Y-wings, um, actual bombers like I don't know uh, the Enola Gay in space, mm-hmm. dropping mm-hmm. nukes. It's got the one. Yeah, you want to go three D print that homeworld fleet? Boy, do is this the rule set for you? Yep. Um, the next rule that the enemies of the Imperium fleet have, um, it's inevitable that one of us is going to slip up and say enemies of the Great Crusade, they're the same fleet. Uh, the name kind of gets used interchangeably. It might even be written in the book somewhere, but if I say enemies of the Great Crusade, I mean enemies of the Imperium and vice versa. Now that that's out of the way. Non-Imperial fleets are often comprised of ships that don't match the specifications of other Imperial vessels. Some may have been built with wonders of Dark Age technology largely lost to the Imperium. Other times, Xenos fleets possess technology which resulted in capabilities beyond the standard in ships that otherwise would be far inferior to Imperial equivalents. Regardless of the cause, such wonders across the entire fleet usually resulted in a void battle that was not to be the walkover that many compliance actions were. So you roll once on the below chart and apply the results to every ship in the enemies of the Great Crusade fleet. Um, if you have played uh, Demons of the Ruin Storm at all, then you will be familiar with this general concept of a special rule being applied to your whole army. Uh, the first one is Iron Banded Souls. Shout out to Signe Mallory. The enemies of the Imperium ships may not have had any technological advantages over the Imperium, but the beings that crew these ships know that they fight for their civilization's survival and are determined not to fail. When issuing orders, you may attempt to issue orders until two ships or squadrons have failed. The first ship or squadron to fail their order still counts as failing for all other purposes. Um, but here you are, in case, you know, your admiral shits the bed. Uh, the next guy down, he's got balls of steel. He's not willing to go quietly into that good night. Nope. And honestly, this is probably my favorite. It's not as flashy as the other ones, right? It's not giving you bonuses to your ships and stuffs. Um, but the amount of times that I've lost a freaking game because it's like, ah, fuck, I got three things to do. All right. We're doing it. Oh, I boxcars did. Well, I'm going to use my last Admiral reroll to roll an 11 and fail anyway. Everybody's going to die. Um, this makes that a little less likely to happen, right? Like I've said it. So when you do it, you will inevitably just fail those first two command checks anyway. Um, but we're trying here. We're trying here, guys. Yeah. You've, you've now managed to, uh, to make it a 50% certainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is Esoteric Targeting Matrix, and you'll notice some of this sounds familiar. Um, that's because some of these are pulled 
from other places like we do, right? We'd rather retrofit a rule that's already been play tested for the past decade than make up our own out of whole cloth. Uh, whether through advanced technology or other more arcane means, the fleet's gunnery exceeds statistical estimates. Gain a left shift on the gunnery table before firing in addition to all their modifiers. Simple, sexy. You know it. You the, love it. Your and guns are better of, than theirs. And on the note of borrowing rules from other rule sets, um, there's a narrative reason for this as well, being that these are, in a lot of instances, uh, human civilizations. And the Imperium is a human civilization. So its technology had to come from somewhere. Yeah, the Imperium invents not nothing, but essentially nothing. Um, So a lot of the non-compliant human civilizations were using just Imperium tech, right? They they also have half an STC sitting around. And uh, hey, look what we got. Yeah, it might be, uh, you know, 5,000 years worth of deviancy from it, but a left shift is a left shift. It's true. Um, speaking of which, advanced shielding is option number three. Through more efficient shield modulation or design prerogatives stressing survivability, the, ship's fleet, the fleet's ships have shielding greater than their tonnage would normally rate. The vessel increases its number of shields by plus one. This upgrade does not apply to corvette squadrons. Um, again, simple. You know it. You love it. Extra shields. Always good. Uh, next on the list, point defense grid. Uh, normally the result of abominable intelligence or Xenos reflexes, the anti-ordnance weapons on a given vessel work in savage harmony to track and destroy their targets. The vessel increases the strength of its turrets by plus one. Again, simple bonuses so you won't forget them in the middle of the game. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's what we're here for. Yep. Uh, Number five is advanced drive technology in war speed kills. In void war, doubly so. The vessel adds plus five centimeters to its speed as well as plus one D6 when undergoing all-ahead full special orders. Everybody's a slaughter. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing white scar things with their friends. Yep. Uh, And lastly, gravitic thrusters. Enhanced systems or resilient physiology allows for maneuvers that would rip most Imperial ships apart or reduce their crews to jelly. Uh, all vessels double their rate of turn. Um, oh boy. Not and adds like 45 degrees, doubles. Yeah, doubles. Um, which is distressing and is my second favorite. Like, again, this is 100% one of those games where, you know, if you're brand new to Battlefleet Gothic, Battlefleet Heresy... And you say, oh, my guns are better. Or, oh, I get an extra shield. That's what I want in my life. The game's won in the maneuver phase. And the game's won with that timely order. And anything that helps with that uh, is real great. And gravitic thrusters, like, hey, you want your battleship to turn 90 degrees? Hey, you want that escort to just turn around and go again? It's here for you. Yeah. Yep, we've all uh, we've all been we've all we've all fallen victim uh, to the uh, the old escort turn and burn. You're chasing down some escorts, you have them uh, cl- moving away, then suddenly they just bang out that come the new heading, do a 180, and unload torpedoes directly into your face. And then what are you supposed to do? Just die, I guess. Yeah, die mostly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of escorts. Whereas most fleets uh, are only able to put, what, five escorts into a squadron? Uh, yeah, five or six. 
Enemies of the Imperium have a rule called Swarms of Them. Most non-compliant fleets, which were capable, uh, even for a short time, of resisting the Imperium, contained vast numbers of ships capable of working in concert. Uh, though one for one not the equivalent of an Armada Imperialis escort, sheer numbers were sometimes enough to turn the tide. For a while, anyway. Enemies of the Imperium fleet escort squadrons may contain up to nine escorts, and must contain at least three unless otherwise noted. Yeah, there's piles of them, which is another motif going through, right? Since the ships are smaller on average than the Imperium ones, um, an enemy of the Imperium fleet, you know, in the fluff, is probably considering as that's its escorts, like cruisers, um, and anything bigger than that is kind of very impressive, even though in the Imperium their cruiser is going to be the equivalent of, like, a sword-class frigate, maybe. Yeah, remember that the smallest vessel that the Imperium has is still bigger than anything that tw that humanity in 2021 has ever built. Yeah. Yeah. It's distressing. Yeah. You know, it's like um, uh, humanity's today, the the American Space Force today fighting the Imperium, our escorts would be, like, smaller than the International Space Station. Imagine a squadron of the <laughs> ISS just zipping off into space to fight a gothic cruiser. Yeah, now's a good time to point out this is meant to represent the fleets that sometimes win um, and not the piles of nameless mooks that never got a shot off. Although yeah. I guess if you wanted to play those for some reason... Uh, you could just take these ships with like without specialist torpedoes, without the fleet-wide bonus, without any upgrades. Um, let me know how that goes for you. I assume poorly. Who knows? Yeah. I, was, I mean, the other guy could just be really bad at life. Who knows? <laughs> it's true. Um, so they have one more um, general special rule, and that is Ve Victus. Expeditionary fleets have only one goal when engaging non-compliant civilizations – Rapid Conquest. So when determining the type of battle fought against an enemies of the Imperium fleet, roll on battles regardless of point size. Because uh, after all, for the Xenos and non-compliant, this is literally the final battle for civilization. Uh, additionally, one cannot draw with an enemies of the Imperium fleet. In any scenario which has the potential to end in a tie, treat such a result as a victory for the enemies of the Imperium fleet and a defeat for the Expeditionary Fleet player... Uh, for all purposes. Uh, and again, this is more of a, you know, campaign rule. Uh, obviously, if you want to play a raid with this fleet, feel free, right? We're, we're not stopping you. Um, but these fleets in campaign tend to get played at smaller points levels. But again, that 500-point enemies of the Imperium fleet is literally the entire species combined, like, naval combat capacity. They think yeah, there's no reserves. <laughs> there's, it's this is it. It's the entirety of the planet's uh, achievements are in orbit as debris. Yeah, and soon to be deorbited. Um, this is also if you're following along the book on page seventy nine, uh, where we give the H thirty three rules for enemies of the Imperium attack craft. I'm not going to run. Excuse me. Not going to run through all those um, because they're basically. Analogous to the standard attack craft, uh, the only difference is 
for the attack strength and turret values of everything, uh, you're going to roll, kind of randomly assign how good, you know, their fighters are compared to their Imperial equivalents, how good their fighter bomber is, how good the bomber's turrets are. Uh, because again, they could be flying TIE fighters. They could be flying TIE defenders. You don't know uh, until the lasers start coming at you. It's true. Um, and really, the Imperium didn't know either, you know. Uh, like some of this flavor text says, some of this stuff is a complete surprise to them. They're like, oh, look, a little planet that has like one little ship floating around it. Boy, those, those are some dense shields. That's heavy armor. This is going to take a while. Yeah, why is every pilot Starbuck? I don't understand. Yeah, this is upsetting. Yeah. Um, and we see that in the fluff, right? Pretty much any like view we get of the Imperium fighting an enemy of the Imperium, either other humans or random, you know, non-mainline Xenos, there's always some weird surprise, right? Because they're showing kind of the not normal stuff they dealt with. Uh, and this helps represent that. Like, you don't know, buddy. Boy, do you not know. Dick yes. Cheney with your unknown unknowns. Yep. Everything's... Right. That's how that's how we want to do it. We want to, it all we want comes to quote back Dick, to Cheney. Dick Cheney. Talk uh, about enemies of the Imperium. Yeah. Um, so that's the basic, like, well, the universal rules for enemies of the Imperium fleets. Uh, so when you decide to do that, you're going to roll on some of those and you're going to pick your civilization type. And as I mentioned in the book, I make no apologies for the amount of customization in this. I know... Some people are like, hey, I just want to know what my ship does, and that's the end of it. Um, this is very much for those guys that are like, man, I I have, you know, the Sarang from, fuck, I forget where they're from, and now I can't think of an enemy alien, right? You're a Star Trek fan. We'll back up. You're a Star Trek fan. You want to have Klingons in 40K. You can, you can do all that. You want to portray your civilization from uh, Sins of a Solar Empire, we got gotcha. Now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Sons of a Solar Empire, Stellaris, Homeworld, uh, yeah. Romulans, Klingons. Uh, uh, oh, what are you, why are you yelling at me, tiny cat? Uh, boy. <laughs> oh, that's what that was. Yeah, <laughs> she's loud. Um, yeah, she is. God, um, what are the, the aliens from, uh, from Ender's Game? Vected? No, the Buggers? The Formix? Yeah. Yeah. Formix, that's Fuck what it those is. those guys. Formix. Yeah. All of them. So the yeah. first thing you do is you pick between a void-based civilization and terrestrial civilizations. Uh, so for void-based civilizations, uh, you can take a single cruiser for every three escort squadrons. Again, those cruisers are like those homeworld, not even the homeworld battleships, but like the homeworld ship itself, right? Uh, for most civilizations... You build one a century ago, and it's the wonder of the galaxy and the pride of all, you know, Tau kind, uh, even though for the Imperium it's just another day at the office. So you can take a single cruiser for every three escort squadrons. Uh, you may take a bottle world, which we'll get into here in a bit, but it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a big-ass, like, craft world-esque It's thing. a world. Yeah. In a bottle. It your civilization around. You've all read uh, Flight of the Eisenstein. You know what we're talking about here. 
they can also re-roll failed navigation checks because they're a void-based civilization. Their whole life is in space. Presumably, they know how to avoid rocks. Uh, and if you're playing a planetary assault or exterminatus battle when attacking a voidborn civilization, uh, play fleet engagement instead with the additional rule that the enemies of the Imperium ships cannot attempt to disengage. Um, that's if you don't have a bottle world to act as kind of the planet you're assaulting or the exterminatus, or even if you do and would rather blow it up, uh, to represent like when you've caught them, right? Like flight of the Eisenstein, right? That was a fleet engagement going on as you're blowing up the source of all their power. <coughs> yep. And you'll never build another pylon as long as you live. Nope. Um, terrestrial civilization is the second type, and they can't take a bottle world. Uh, their world is the bottle, and it's a literal planet. Uh, a ship of stone, you could call it. Ah. See what you uh, did there. It may only contain a single ship with eight hull points, and that, um, if you think about it, the Imperium notwithstanding, it's actually really hard to go to space and build boats that big. Um, so it may only contain a single ship with eight hull points. It's probably the wonder of their civilization, just like the uh, Void-based guys. Uh, note that in most instances, such civilizations would have no cruiser-class ships, let alone one able to rival the sheer size of an imperial capital ship. However, this could resent, represent a relic of old knight, which the civilization has preserved, or an ostentatious fleet flagship meant to inspire awe in local enemies. Battles against a planet-based civilization may not take place in deep space. Any planet generated when making the battlefield enables the enemies of the Imperium player to add D, uh, 2d6 times 10 defenses, which must either be planet-based defenses or placed within the gravity well of the planet or one of its moons, regardless of other deployment rules. This rule does not apply to planets which are automatically included in scenarios such as planetary assault. Uh, and ships from a terrestrial civilization may navigate asteroid fields and systems which they control without taking a penalty or without taking a leadership check because presumably it's been there for several thousand years and they know how to drive through it. Um, uh, they can do it without taking the check unless they are on come the new heading, lock on or all ahead full special orders, in which case they must pass a leadership check on 2d6 to successfully navigate the asteroid field. This represents the exactness which civilizations can chart and distribute charts of such stellar phenomenon when they've existed for hundreds or thousands of years in such relatively small confines. Yeah, that's one of the things that doesn't get mentioned a lot, uh, I think, in 40k or 30k for that matter. Um, I think maybe once, whatever that weird Xeno species uh, was in the Eisenhorn trilogy. They uh, talk geez. about how they've been around for like, or, um, oh God, the, the Xenos that are the other, other half of that Xenos human uh, conglomeration that Horus gets into a kerfuffle over. Oh, the, um, the Interex? Yeah, the, the Xenos and the Interex. If you've been around 100,000 years, you've drawn maps, right? Yeah. Like, you can navigate that asteroid field the same way Germans can navigate the Black Forest. It's fine. Uh, this contrasts to even 40K Imperials where the Navy doesn't live there. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard. Um, so, yeah. Life is hard when you have a galaxy-spanning empire and you've got to go from one end of it to the others on a repeated basis. It's true. Hard, hard to distribute maps to everybody. Yep. Uh, then, so you've picked whether you're going to be a Voidborn 
or a planetary-based civilization. Next, you get to do species type. Yeah. Uh, there are two broad strokes for this, uh, Xenos and noncompliant humans. Uh, the Xenos rules, they have two things. Uh, the first is unknowable forms, where nearly all human ships have a certain similarity of form and function, either due to the ancient STC designs or underlying commonalities of the human psyche. The alien is forever unknowable. So the first time a Xenos feat is flawed, yeah, a Xenos feat, Jesus Christ. Jesse will edit this out and post. It'll be fine. He's probably not, isn't he? No, he. this is definitely, everyone's going to hear you say Xenos feet. Yeah, say it five times fast, sons of bitches. Um, the first time a Xenos fleet is fought, got there. The enemies of the Imperium fleet, uh, they don't have the detail. Uh, the Imper enemies of the Imperium fleet does not have to detail the specific ship types being fielded apart from their class until they within, come within 30 centimeters of their opponent uh, or if they fire or launch ordnance. So, for example, if I have a fleet and I, of enemies of the Imperium ships and I'm fighting Stevens, word bearers, uh, I can just go, yeah, those are escorts. I don't have to tell them what if they... What kind of escorts? How many shields do they have? Do they shoot torpedoes? What's going on? Yeah. What's your turn radius? What What were those... What are those fun upgrades you were just talking about three or four pages ago? He doesn't know any of that until it actually happens. Uh, and that's... Oh boy, did that hurt. <laughs> that's another one of those things that, like... That's why attrition was kind of high. Because uh, even if you are superior to your opponent in every way or in most ways uh you know if you expected him to fire lances and instead you have attack craft coming out at you it's a problem uh we do say however you got to differentiate with the models right so you don't have to say hey this is this type of frigate here's all of its guns this is this type of destroyer it fires x type of torpedoes um, but if you have a frigate and a torpedo escort they need to be different models, right? Don't use your Nikasar Dows for everything. Use your Nikasar Dows for, like, a frigate. And then use your home-built NID escorts as his other, like, as a destroyer or whatever, right? Be sensible. Um, but it was a lot of fun because, obviously, in playtesting, um, we only had but so many different models to use. So the mind game of like, well, fuck, that was an escort carrier last time. Is it an escort carrier again? Is it something else? Yeah, it's all fun and games when you uh, expect that you're about to eat a whole bunch of uh, weapons batteries, Xenos weapons batteries. So you drift close and you're like, haha, I can handle this. I'm a grand cruiser. Suck 18 torpedoes. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I am sure many Imperial admirals made that exact same mistake. Yep. Uh, so it, it's a it's a fun quirk in there. The other rule they have is war to the knife. A Xeno species su sufficiently advanced to stand against the strength of an expeditionary fleet invariably had some inkling as to the goings-on of the wider galaxy, even if they were a single-system civilization. They invariably knew, or were swiftly made aware of, the fact that the Imperium of Man to the Imperium of Mankind, Xenocide was the default method of alien diplomacy. Knowing the fate of their entire species was on the line, Xeno's forces would fight with unbridled ferocity and with a willingness to sacrifice themselves to repel the invaders. 
Xenos uh, fleets may re-roll attempts to lock on, but subtract one from their leadership value when attempting to disengage. And this represents the fact that they know they've got to kill the Imperial ships. They've got to. Uh, and running won't save them. Right? Or conversely, even if running would save their ship, uh, a captain's not going to order it if the entire ship's crew's family is on the planet that's about to be xenocided. Right? Yep. You don't want to disengage from that. Well, maybe you want to, but you're not gonna. You're not gonna. You're gonna die with your boots on. Yep. Yep. Um, enemies of the Imperium non-compliant humans uh, have similar rules, but they are a little bit different. Uh, the first one is not what I signed up for. Many soldiers and sailors of the Great Crusade viewed it as a liberation of humanity from Xenos oppression and were unsettled when ordered to turn their guns against fellow humans, no matter how distant their foes were from the Imperial truth. Even tech priests were often loath to wage wars of annihilation against other scions of mankind, lest they accidentally destroy some wonder of age of technology or lose a clue to the recovery of an STC. Astartes naturally did not share this compunction. Ships without a Stardust crew subtract one from their leadership when attempting to lock on against enemies of the Imperium fleets. Additionally, they must pass a leadership test to fire on any crippled, non-compliant human capital ship. Um, Space Marines just don't care who they're killing as long as they're killing somebody. Uh, but squishy mortals and, uh, and Martian nerds have, have more problems with it. Morals is a strong word to ascribe to the Mechanicum. But yeah, yeah, or indeed right? any part of the Imperium. Indeed. Um, but, you know, they were all fed the story of like, hey, we're going to go. This is liberation. And in the early crusade, there was a ton of that. Right. Hell, even in the solar system, they're throwing off Xeno suppression. And that's all fine and dandy uh, until somebody tells you to take your gun and shoot little Susie over there in the head. Yeah, she's got too many arms. She's got the non-human standard number of arms. Yeah. But and boss, it's many. one, and yeah. it looks like the other one was blown off. Oh, you gotta hit. You can't take chances. Yep, gotta get them all. You know that scene in uh, Men in Black where where Will Smith shoots the little girl's dummy because <laughs> she's got the, the 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 textbook that's out of her out of her reading range. It's that way too advanced for her. Yep, yep. Uh, the second one is belligerent. Fighting against other human civilizations was always a fraught venture within the expeditionary fleets. Sometimes uncaring rulers, unwilling to give up power, would launch their otherwise perfectly acceptable civilization into an unwinnable war against the Imperium. Other times, genetic deviance, heretic devices, or warp taint meant that the war would be as brutal as any against the Xenos menace. So, the first time any non-compliant human civilization is encountered, you roll a d6. On a 1-2, to two, the fleet gains the War to the Knife trait from above, and on a 3-up, it gains the Strike the Head special rule described below. Uh, strike the Head is as follows. Oftentimes, a non-compliant human civilization went to war on the orders of their rulers, or even when the civilization would have been peacefully incorporated into the Imperium. Such battles frequently ended with those when those rulers were slain, the surviving ships powering down and asking for quarter. So when a non-compliant human fleet loses its admiral's flagship, the rest of the non-compliant human ships and squadrons must take a leadership test. If failed, remove these ships from play as they power down and surrender. Um, you know, sometimes it's not always blow everybody up. Sometimes it's just blow up the bad guys. Yeah, um, we, I actually had uh, 6319 
in mind when I wrote that strike the head. Because uh, they say, like, man, there is nothing wrong with this civilization except their ruler calls himself the emperor of mankind. Can't have that. Can't, can't be doing that. Yeah, um, you can only have one of those, and he's on Terra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, hey, you know, get Ignaz Karski down on a planet. It'll be fine afterwards. Uh, meanwhile, you know, got got the wrong regulation amount of arms, doing some warp fuckery, and the word bearers aren't the ones to show up on your front door or the Thousand Sons. War to the yeah, knife, baby. Yeah. Yep. Your mailbox will soon be filled with bolter shells. Oh, no. And they all have your name on them. Oh, no. All right. So how do you actually generate an Enemies of the Imperium fleet? Find out after this commercial break. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Lost Transmissions, part of the Remembrancers Retreat. As always, you can find us on rr30k.com. You go over to Battlefleet Heresy, and that is where you'll find the compendiums. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Find us on Facebook at rr30k podcast and Instagram at rr30k. And if you enjoy our program and would like to support us, go over to patreon.com forward slash rr30k podcast. And as always, I'd like to thank all of our patrons, starting with our Legion Praetors, Alex Selth, Chaplanisar, Chris Mack, Jacob Dillon, Woe, Joe from Music City Heresy, Luke Rizzuto, Matthew Boyce, Michael Tisdall, Mr. Baldwick, Nick Quenga, Sar Luther, Taco Tuesday or Bus 22 Rock and Roll McDonald's, and What's Ligma? Our Legion Centurions, Aaron Maynard, Andrew N., Angry Boy, Danny Larson, Dave Jones, Duncan, Ed, John Christensen, M. Tanzer, Gorkrow, Rena the Floof, Scott LeMay, and Scott LeMay. And finally, our Legion Sergeants, Agrippina, Emily O'Hare, Garrett Lowe, Jay DeSales, Jay Grammaticus, Mr. Seer, Nick Gillen, Noah Atkins, The Zoy, and What Do I Call Myself. Once again, thank you all for your support, and enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back. Um, the captain has instructed us that we only have so much time left to record before we are stuffed into a different pod and fired at the planet below. So, in that time, we will endeavor to fill you with as much knowledge as we can. Generating enemies, enemies of the Imperium fleet. Uh, when an enemies of the Imperium fleet is generated, you take the size of the expeditionary fleet fighting it, and you roll a d6 and consult the following table. You subtract one from the die roll if the enemy of the Imperium fleet is being generated for a Hive world, Forge world, or Stellar Empire civilized world, which, all that again, we're going to get into once we talk about campaigns. You add one to the die roll if the enemies of the Imperium fleet is a Horror of Old Night, and we're really going to get into that later. Yeah. Um, as a side note, determining the relative size of the enemies of the Imperium fleet was the most difficult thing to balance in the whole book. Didn't make sense to go through all the bother of generating a fleet just to have it be woefully undersized and not provide a viable opponent, but we also didn't want fleets to be so massive that a small exploratory fleet would be automatically doomed when it came across an enemy force. So, here we are. Um, it's a D6 table. On a 1, the enemies of the Imperium fleet is 150 points larger than the exploratory fleet. On a 2, uh, the fleet is 100 points larger. On a 3, it's 50 points larger. On a four to five, um, it's no bigger than the exploratory feat. Mm -hmm. And on a six, uh, the enemies of the Imperium fleet is 50 points less than the exploratory fleet. Yeah, that's fairly straightforward. Um, and again, 
This is for campaign as much as for random one-offs. And I guess next episode now, when we get into the ships, you'll see why uh, they're getting a bit of a bonus. Um, We feel they should outnumbers, shouldn't, what what are they doing? Um, Because we didn't want them, even though they're undergunned individually, to have just be hosed, right? Because uh, some of them, sometimes, especially if you're doing this, quote unquote, the proper way of just rolling randomly for everything, uh, you can get fleets that are, shall we say, suboptimal. Um, on the reverse side of that, there are also some ways you can do this uh, to get just absolutely atrocious little fleets in there for some of these ships. Um, but, you know, that's why we say don't bring it to tournaments. It's for fun. Yeah. Um, that being said as well, you know, if your opponents agree or if you are playing with a, like a game master, uh, for your campaign, the game master can just pick what that fleet's going to be. Yeah. Just do it all. Um, so you don't necessarily have to leave it up to lady luck. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. Like uh, fleet composition. So we're, this is going to be the last thing we talk about before we call it for, for the evening. Um, basically, again, right, these are small civilizations. They're not like the Imperium with a million different classes of ships, right? Think about the U.S. Navy right now. How many classes of combat ships does the U.S. Navy have? I I don't know. How many? Seven? Five? Neat. Do any of them have giant lasers? Funnily enough, they're trying real hard to make one of them, but that's that's another story for probably a different type of podcast. Uh, Um, I see. But if you're like the Indian Navy, right, you got like three types of ships and a submarine, right? Because you're concentrating more on what what you need. Uh, And if you're only a single civil, a single system or a small empire, uh, you need a lot less variety of stuff than the Imperium of Mankind who needs a million different types of ships to my, to fight a million different types of battles over a million different types of worlds. Yeah. So you know, these, these civilizations may have almost like it could follow that the entirety of their space faring history is in the context of fighting orcs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it could also very well be that one of the other thing, well, not very well be, but like one of the other things is if you're small, you can standardize better. Right. Like the Imperium, one of the reasons why it has a billion different types of ship is because it's so friggin' huge that the people, you know, fighting over Olinor haven't seen the people on the other side of the galaxy for 200 years. Uh, and like Steven said, that sort of combat history changes how they view things and they're doing a little bit differently over here and over there. Uh, these enemies of the Imperium fleets. They've been in the same circle of space for 60,000 years, and God damn it, we've got our three types of ships, and that's what we're doing. All right? So that's our soapbox for fleet composition. Uh, all enemies of the Imperium fleets may contain corvette squadrons, and then when constructing an enemies of the Imperium fleet, roll a D3 to determine the number of additional ship types available. Uh, and then if you're in a campaign, you would roll D6 plus one if you've got a stellar empire. Uh, once you determine the number of ship types available, you can roll on the chart to determine which ship types the enemies of the Imperium fleet contains. 
so on a one, you get destroyer. There's two types of destroyers. Again, we'll get into that next time. You can pick which one you want. On a two, you get one of the two types of frigates. On a three, you get a dreadnought. Uh, In quotation marks. <laughs> which is a hilarious little escort that thinks it's a light cruiser or maybe even just a regular cruiser. It's got delusions of grandeurs either way. Uh, on a four, you can bring one of the delightful little escort carriers uh, the enemies of the Imperium fleet get. On a five, you can take an actual cruiser. Uh, and on a six, you can take a relic. Ooh, what's Ooh. a relic? Uh, a legacy of a legacy ship of old night. Such vessels were rare and powerful reminders of humanity's long past former empire. Uh, so if you are a non-compliant human civilization that rolls a six, you may include a single Emperor-class battleship, Retribution-class battleship, or Desolator-class battleship, uh, which, per our research, are the three oldest classes of ship uh, that humanity has. And you may include them regardless of other ships in your fleet. So there's no, you have to take three cruisers to take this or whatever. You, you do it. They've been sitting on this thing for 6,000 years. They're bringing it. They don't care. Who uh, cares if the lasers explode the first time they're fired? Right? F it. Uh, the ship costs 50 points less than their listed price in the Battlefleet Heresy Fleet Compendium. Uh, that's because they don't get all the fun, you know, the Legio-specific stuff, all the other things going on. Um, and then... A Xeno civilization, which rolls a six, may select a single cruiser from the Horrors of Old Night fleet list. Um, which, like, while while the enemies of the Imperium, the standard enemies of the Imperium list, as we I've said three or four times now, is very much a tier two fleet. The enemies of Old Night are designed to beat the dog shit out of you, and they do, <laughs> and they do. Again, ton of fun to play and play against, but oddly horrifying. It's kind of like the first time you played Necrons uh, every time. <laughs> but yeah. new Necrons, not old Necrons. Yeah. And uh, again, being that they are Xenos in nature, they, uh, they don't have to explicitly tell you what any of their ships do. So not only are they uh, kind of designed to be dick kickers, you're not going to know just how hard your dick's going to get kicked until the boot is in motion. <laughs> oh, yeah. All you have to do is say, yeah, that's a cruiser. No further questions. Um, and then if any additional sixes are rolled, you may select any of the available ship types from the enemies of the Imperium list. So no bringing multiple battleships or multiple Horror of Old Night cruisers into your regular old enemies of the Imperium fleet. Um and then uh, if you want to be purely random, right, again, especially in campaign play, uh, one if you've rolled a ship class capable of using attack craft or torpedoes, we also have some tables set up uh, to select, hey, do you have crazy torpedoes? Hey, what are your attack craft like? Uh, the stuff we mentioned previously. If you want to be random about it, uh, if you want a power game, be my guest, man. This is a narrative fleet list. And if your narrative is sometimes it sucks to suck, then bro, you do it. Yeah. I am not responsible for anybody playing additional games with you. Yeah. Uh, live your best <laughs> life, but perhaps only for a little while. Right? Uh, 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 uh. 
So I think that's all we're going to get into. Yeah, we've uh, uh, we've mostly we've we planted are right the up seeds. on an hour. We've planted the seeds. We've for laid you, the groundwork, our dear listeners, to soon reap a bountiful harvest of uh, weird and not imperial ships. Yeah, and I will say, um, you know, I've been playing Battlefleet Gothic since it came out. And you know, like I'm biased, right? Because I wrote the fleet rules uh, along with Stephen. But this is probably the most fun fleet I've had to play, uh, just for the sheer joy of like the customizability and the freaking everybody out with weird stuff going on. Um, and for those of you with 3D printers, especially the resin ones, uh huh. No, nope. it's your time. It is your time. Um, yeah. So next episode, we'll get into uh, the actual ships of the Enemies of the Great Crusade, Enemies of the Imperium, and depending on time, Horrors of Old Night. Hooray! Yay! We'll see if you're cheering the whole time. You won't be. There's going <laughs> to be a lot of crying. A lot of crying. But until then, dear listeners, as always, good hunting.